All right, everybody. (laughs) (laughs) Sorry. If you ever shook your head at me the way you just shook your head at yourself. (laughs) I just embarrassed myself to myself super hard. Yeah. Okay. (laughs) Okay, everybody. Season two, episode 20. Wait. Oh, my God. Welcome to SVU Pod Especially Heinous. I'm Tasha. I'm Gabe. Hi. Okay, so we have a listener named Tasha. What? She reached out to us and was like, hey, I've heard Gabe compliment your nails and I have this little homegrown nail polish company called XXVZ Nails. Would it be cool if I sent you some nail polish? And I'm like, yes. I'm like, Gabe loves red. And so she sent us four different colors. I love it. And it's so great. The the red that, well, they were all really pretty, but like the red that she sent that's for me is like super, like like my type of red. A hundred percent. I'm just excited to pump up this company a little bit because they're woman-owned, black-owned, inclusive, they're vegan-friendly, their products are cruelty-free. It sounds like an mm-hmm. ad, but it's not at all. We just think it's rad, so we're like, It's just oh cool. It was just super yeah. nice of her. She's like, we're like the little bit loud of nail polish companies. And I'm like, wee! Fuck yeah. <laughs> so check them out. Yeah. Yay. I want to yeah, be like, seemed, if rad. anyone else has stuff they want to send us. <laughs> <laughs> send me ghost stories and presents. Okay, we are on season two, episode 20, Peak? Peak? Peak. Peak. P-I-Q-U-E. Opening scene. Coroner Warner is examining the body on the rocky shore of fucking some... New York City shoreline. Yeah. Benson and Stabler show up. Stabler goes, what's up, Doc? Yeah. And then he pulls out a carrot and holds it like a cigar. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you brought your laughing cup. Good. <laughs> I got a bigger one. <laughs> Woo. It's a 34-year-old. Fucking little Richard. <laughs> it's a 34-year-old woman named Veronica Tandy. She was raped and stabbed in the back. She has a bruise on the back of her neck. She was yoked. Ugh, I hate how they keep using that word in this episode. I know. I don't like it. They're in Coroner Warner's office later in the afternoon. And Coroner Warner is going over forensic details, but the whole time is like slopping around with internal organs. Like she's folding fucking laundry. <laughs> yeah. Benson and Stabler are off to the side listening and Stabes just goes, this is fun. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I know. It's funny. So there were no traces of semen in the internal exam. There was traces of spermicide that's usually on condoms. And then she finds a seven to eight week fetus. So the stab wound was about two inches wide and eight inches deep with one edge was serrated. The blade had collapsed the left lung causing cardiopulmonary failure, which is the cause of death. The phone rings and Coroner Warner asks Benson to answer the phone. So the husband is there to ID the body. Now, Veronica's husband, Mr. Tandy, is understandably very upset. He's like, she's not here. She's supposed to be at home. This is all a mistake. Then he looks through the glass and starts sobbing and starts banging on the glass, yelling at the body like, you're supposed to be home. And then Benson holds him and he's like crying into her shoulder. I felt so bad for him by the end of this. Yeah, he was like a good actor. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, there was so much good acting. I make a note of it later. But right when I saw this guy, we find out really quickly. We're like, oh, he is not guilty of anything. This poor guy is broken. Mm -hmm. In profile, he looked like Ted Cruz for a second. And I was like, ew. What? In profile, I thought he was Bob Odenkirk for one second. Oh, I wish. I was like, wait. Bob Odenkirk wasn't that old. I wish Bob Odenkirk was this grieving husband. Oh, oh God, I love Bob Odenkirk. 
So there's an interview room, Benson and Stabler, and they're talking to Mr. Tandy. He was supposed to meet his wife at Cafe de Artiste or whatever, Artiste, at 7 p.m. the night before. She never showed up, so he called her assistant, Charlene, who said Veronica had left early around 4 p.m. He assumed she went, quote, recruiting. She's the head of personnel for CompuGame. They manufacture uh, game software. He can't think of anyone who want to hurt her. The only time people get pissed is when they get fired. And they blame her because of her position at the job. He asked how Ronnie died, which is like a super cute nickname for Veronica. And I'm using that for the rest of the episode. Oh, yeah. They let him know that she was stabbed. He says he doesn't know what to tell their kids. Mm -hmm. And this guy is breaking my fucking heart. Then Stabler tells him that she was pregnant. And Benson's eyes are like, oh, you're really going to tell him? Yeah, she kind of like darted like, "Ooh, how's he going to take it? Yeah. yeah. And Mr. Tandy's like, what are you talking about? And the way he said it made me assume the baby isn't going to be his. Yeah. In this moment. Because it wasn't like, oh, our baby. He was like, what? Yeah. So now we're in the squad room. Ronnie was raped and murdered from behind. Cragen doesn't know why that he's like, why did he kill her if she never saw his face? And I was like, I don't know, Cragen. You're the one who spent your career in homicide and now in sex crimes. Like, it's not logic based. Right. It's like, huh, he did, she didn't see him. Why did he kill her? It's like, he didn't have to, so why did he? And it's like, well, because that's what... That's what murderers do. Yeah. Cragen? Yeah. <laughs> so Cragen wants Benson and Saber to talk to whomever was fired recently from CompuGame. In the meantime, he'll get a psych profile going. When I saw Benson's turtleneck, I thought of Skoda, and I was like, oh my God, we're probably going to see him this episode. It was like a... What's that called? Um, a mock turtleneck? No, where... Where it's just like a little tiny bit? No. It doesn't fold over? It's a foreshadowing turtleneck. <laughs> 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 so benson really wants to work on the pregnancy angle she was like trying to figure out why she hadn't told her husband but mm -hmm. stanford is like she was only seven weeks along like she was maybe waiting for the right time to tell him i don't feel like that's a long time not necessarily yeah like you don't i could see if you weren't planning it if it was unplanned i could see you being like when was the last time i had my period like I'm feeling weird you know yeah. like because you don't even start feeling sick like generally until you're like six or seven weeks yeah so Benson's like maybe she wanted to terminate the pregnancy or maybe it wasn't his and then Cragen stands up and he's like is your fucking gut telling you that the grieving husband like raped and murdered his wife and I'm like what where did you get that yeah and she <laughs> says no <laughs> she's like no but like Maybe she was having an affair and maybe the person didn't want to continue the relationship. Yeah, there's so, a lot of angles that we can look yeah. at that aren't just so, this one thing. Yeah, they might need to establish paternity. So now we're at CompuGame. Benson and Stabler are talking to Ronnie's assistant. She says that everyone loved Ronnie. The department heads make the final cuts and Ronnie's just the messenger in that. But people still would get mad and like blame her. Yeah, so if anybody was upset with Ronnie, it was when they would get fired because... Benson was like, how many of them got mad about it? And she's like, all of them. Mm -hmm. So they've had five terminations in the past three months, and they've all been dicks. Yeah. When Ronnie left early at 4 p.m. that day, she didn't tell her assistant where she was going. She just said that it was personal. And the assistant is really broken up through all of this mm -hmm. naturally. Like, she obviously had a good relationship with her. Yeah. Ronnie had a few really good friends at the office. Fucking Teresa Steele in legal <laughs> and Jason Mayberry in security. Jesus, these names. These fucking names. Butch McGee. <laughs> Jason Mayberry, put on your suspenders and let's go out to the fishing hole. I'm the sheriff in these pots. <laughs> Nobody made a Mayberry joke. Nobody made a fucking Andy Griffith joke. 
It was too obvious. Fucking, it's a show about cops. <laughs> His name is Mayberry. Whatever. <laughs> my dad fucking loves that show. My parents watch that shit like it's 1950. I used to love it, too, because we were Christian and I couldn't watch anything else. <laughs> <laughs> I got to watch Heidi. <laughs> oh, yeah, that was another good one, too. Oh, my God. What's the one with... I just made a, jo- a Laura Ingalls fucking joke at you earlier. Uh, oh, yeah. Little House on the Prairie. Fucking, that was my fucking jam. Yeah, man. I used to be like, I want to roll down that fucking hill! You know? Do you remember that? <laughs> Do you remember that one episode where there was a dude raping people and he, like, wore this creepy mask and was it Laura or her sister? Somebody was like, or maybe it was just another little girl in a prairie dress. I don't remember. I just remember being way too young for that kind of content and watching this episode and she was like up in a haymow or something. And this guy comes up with this creepy fucking mask on and raped her, <gasps> sexually assaulted her. A child? Yeah, like a teen, like a young teenager. I was maybe like 10 or 11. I'm like, this is the show I'm allowed to fucking watch. And then know. ever since then, that's been my biggest fear. And I think it stems from Little House in the Whoa. Prairie. So you should have been letting me watch Simpsons and Friends, Terry and Kenny. <laughs> anyway. I didn't, I don't remember um, that at all. It's the one that stands out, obviously. And the one where, um, what is her, the Olsen family, you know, like the fancy Olsen family. Like the Olsen twins, you mean? No, oh, with Olsons. that curly haired chick that was a bitch. Yeah, with the blonde curly haired yeah. chick. And they had that little general store or whatever. Mm-hmm. Like they got an indoor toilet and it like overflowed and it was like running down the stairs. And I was like, because <laughs> her mom was a bitch. <laughs> I used to have a bird named Steve that used to whistle that Mayberry song. Oh, cute. He was really mean. So anyway, these names are dumb. Jason and Ronnie would get coffee and he sometimes brought her flowers and made sure that she had a cab when she worked late. Hmm. He quit two weeks ago, but the assistant doesn't know why. His files are confidential, so she she doesn't have access to those. Benson's going to go talk to Teresa Steele in legal and Stabler is going to go talk to Jason Mayberry's supervisor to figure out why he quit. I hope that Teresa Steele has like a big wooden desk and like two Dobermans chained to her chair or something. <laughs> if I was a madam of my own brothel, that's what I would have. If I had an escort service and a nice pencil yeah. skirt too. A nice pencil yeah. skirt. Oh my God. That pencil skirt would be the hardest tapered thing ever on you. Oh I'd be, I'd be like beep, 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 when I walked. The hips would be like, what, like 48 inches. <laughs> and then the knees would be like 12. <laughs> oh my God. Can you imagine? Woo. How would I go to the bathroom? I wouldn't. I don't have to go to the bathroom. No, Never. you wouldn't have to. You're too powerful. <laughs> I'm too powerful for that. What am I doing with my life? <laughs> oh my God, I hate don't everything. Don't look around. <laughs> I'm like, Diane, answer me. She's not even here. Where is she? Is she, she got a part-time job. <laughs> <laughs> no, she's on one of her um, hikes. So we're in Teresa Steele's office. Doberman's frothing at the mouth. Okay, go ahead. I'm sorry. We got to get through this. We come in with a hard close-up on this woman's pensive-ass face as she stares out the window talking about Ronnie. I hate her hair. And then as I wrote that, between the name Teresa Steele and the way I wrote that sentence, I was like, wouldn't it be fun if we co-wrote one of those romance novels? And then I wrote a little excerpt. Okay, here we go. <gasps> Bernadette was like soups hornballed up for Marco because he'd been giving her welcomed eye fucks from across the bar. Her heart raced as she walked past him and whispered, let me see that hag hog and confidently walked to the shitter. <laughs> We're writing a book. But in that tone, wouldn't that be fucking great? She called his dick a hag hog. <laughs> 
So anyway, Benson immediately starts talking about Ronnie and Jason's relationship to Teresa Steele. And Teresa does not think that they were having an affair, but also didn't know that Ronnie was pregnant. She said that Ronnie was a bleeding heart and wrote a letter of recommendation for Jason to get into the police academy. Teresa assumes that Jason's attention to Ronnie, like the nice things he did for her, was just gratitude. And she seemed super irritated that Benson was asking her all these questions. And I'd be pissed too if a cop came in asking questions insinuating that you were less than perfect. Mm -hmm. Like if you were like, God forbid... something happened knock on wood and they were like hey we have a few questions about Gabe she was kind of a bitch right and I'd be like "Ah!" actually you'd probably be like don't well I mean I did get hit by a car and she didn't come visit me I forgot about that (laughs) (laughs) Just kidding. So we're having a walk and talk between Stabes and Jason's supervisor. There's some really great acting going on. This is another example of the great acting from the people that are just like joining in on this episode. Mm -hmm. He says that Jason was incredible at his job and that he could have been a supervisor soon. He thinks Jason quit suddenly because he was embarrassed of his mom because apparently his mom called a lot and came down busting his chops in front of like the whole staff. Mm -hmm. He says he doesn't know where Jason's working now, but he does have an address on file for him in Jersey. Jason's supervisor tells Stabler that a dude named Greg Spector couldn't stand Ronnie. He was a guard supervisor until about a month ago. She had to let him go because Jason turned him in for using the security camera to zoom in on women's body parts. Can they do that? I like it's I didn't know you could zoom. Pixelated garbage and they're like I got to get a clean shot of these titties. <laughs> So now I guess Greg is working janitorial at LaGuardia. So now we're at LaGuardia. SVU loves a good dumpster scene. Uh, They fucking do. They really do. (laughs) I'm surprised the precinct isn't inside of a dumpster. Everybody's just moving garbage bags between phone calls. (laughs) Right. So this fucking Greg guy is pissed. He tells Benson and Stabler that Jason was Ronnie's little pet and got him fired. They tell him that she's dead. And he was like, oh, my God, for real? And they want to know where he was last night. He said he was home alone and he swears he had nothing to do with it. He said actually that Ronnie had come back like a week ago or something or a few weeks ago to get his side of the story. So it was actually Greg who was the one who caught Jason using the security camera on women. And Ronnie was going to get him reinstated. So he had gotten the impression that her and Jason had like a falling out. Now, if you'll excuse me, I have to rearrange these bags of trash. <laughs> he just starts moving them around like they're all in a pile. Like, I got to put them over here and then I got to put them over there. OK, <laughs> I don't got all day. It's fifteen dollars an hour. <laughs> now we're at the home of Grace Mayberry, Jason's mom, and she lives in a fancy as fuck house. There's just fucking gold shit everywhere. Mm-hmm. She's got a Mrs. Doubtfire in a maid's uniform, mm-hmm. like passing out tea and shit. And this woman has Will Forte mouth. Okay. Oh, I didn't notice. Yeah. That is Will Forte in a wig, if it's anybody. Whoa. Just when she says like specific words, I'm like, oh my God, this is not funny enough to be him. <laughs> so she says that Jason doesn't stay there. His dad died when he was five and it's too many memories for him. She's not going to beat around the bush and she's not going to put up with any of their shit. She goes... I don't like cryptic conversations. They require a proviscerating nature, which I do not possess. So either you tell me what this is all about, or you can locate Jason using whatever means you have at your disposal. Mm-hmm. Flatline is shit. Zero hesitation. Benson replies, do you know what obstruction is, ma'am? Mm-hmm. This is a murder investigation, and we need to speak with your son now. Yeah, she like immediately folds too. She just like puts her tea down and like gives him his address. Yeah. It's pretty rad. And then Steeler got a huge boner. <laughs> oh, 
I bet Stabler just like loves powerful women. Yeah. You know, he's sitting in the room and he's like, I can't fucking handle this. (laughs) (laughs) He comes home and he's like, Kathy, put me in a diaper. (laughs) Let's fucking do it. (laughs) Now we're at Jason's house. Benson and Stabler knock on the door and Jason cracks the door and talks to them like he's fucking the shining jack nicholson (laughs) right but he looks like grown-up fuller from home alone (laughs) i don't want to sleep next to fuller he wets the bed so he doesn't want to let them into the house because he says his house is a mess and they're like we don't care and he's like well i do and they're like well you can come down to the station and then suddenly he's like well greg specter hated ronnie and Benson is like, yeah, we already talked to him, though. Mm-hmm. And then Stabler kind of goes into this, like, cheesy, like, we're not blaming you, route. Like, we really need your help. Like, we're really running out of leads here. We need your help to find this guy for Ronnie. And then he's like, yeah, okay, yeah, anything for her. And he comes down to the station. So Benson and Stabler knock on the door to Cragen's office and come in. Cragen says, hey, everybody. <laughs> he doesn't say that. He says... Hey guys. <laughs> hey guys. Welcome back to my channel. I'm Captain Craigan. <laughs> He's like, this is Dr. George Huang, psychiatrist on loan from the FBI, setting up VICAP. And I'm like, oh my God, oh my God, it's motherfucking Wong, who is so fucking adorable, by the way. He's such a little babe. I love him. I could listen to him talk about fucking Anything. the fucked up mental nature of criminals all yeah. day long. And I love how he makes his entrance too because when they come in we see Craigan standing in he's standing behind his desk but you just see him like chest mm-hmm. up. And he's like, "Hey, this is Dr. Wong." And he was obviously sitting in a chair across from Craigan's desk because he just pops into frame from the bottom like, "Whoop, hi." <laughs> and he looks so young. Yeah. Well, and it's like it's got to be crazy too cuz you know how they were both in Oz. Like there's so many Oz characters cuz he would play a psychiatrist mm-hmm. in Oz too. He oh, played so, yeah, he played like the exact same character. And then there's Stabler. He's great. Yeah, he's great. They walk in and he's like I've seen your butt. <laughs> Stabler's like everybody has. <laughs> Stabler's like you're welcome. <laughs> Stabler thinks Jason is the perp. He's like, this is the guy that did it. Wong thinks that Stabler should talk to Jason alone. He's super matter of fact about it, too. Yeah, he knows what's up. He's with the FB fucking eye, you know? Right. Act accordingly. Yeah. Uh, Benson's kind of like, um, excuse me? But she goes along with it. He's like, dude, this dude has a problem with women, and he won't open up to Benson about anything. She's like, dude, all rapists hate women. You're, like, not telling us anything new. She literally says that to him. I know. Like, you don't realize yet that Huang is a goddamn crucial member of the team, but she's just getting, like, turf defensive, like they always do when they meet somebody. They always fucking do. But guess what? Every time you guys meet somebody that Cragen brings on for any amount of time is usually pretty pretty great like remember that lady therapist go back to when you met cabot and you guys were like we're dicks cabot yeah no we don't see this episode munch and toots oh they like took time off after last episode we're getting therapy for fucking finding this guy out in this cabin maybe that's why i got through the notes so quick because you weren't angry at all (laughs) yeah So Wong thinks that the dude who did this is super shy and frequently excited. He attacks from behind by yoking in frotage. And there's that word again from like the first episode where Cassidy said fromage and the jury laughed at him like they'd ever heard that fucking word before. Like, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> look at this idiot. Because like, fromage. <gasps> fromage up. Wong is schooling them because he's in the fucking FBI. So listen to him, you butts. Okay. He's going to stick around for the interrogation, and then he leaves the room. Benson is going to go pick up Jason's psych test from the police academy, and if Stabler gets anything out of Jason that's worth a damn, they'll call her to check in. 
which has to sting a little bit for her. Benson leaves Cragen's office, and Stabler tells Cragen that he's like, no disrespect to Huang, but he just got here. You know, like you can't. Cragen legitimately pays his comment zero attention. Yeah. He's, Cragen tells him that they have zero evidence, and if Jason is the perp, they need a confession. Like, Stabler needs to tread lightly because Jason could walk whenever he feels like it. Because mm-hmm. he's not under arrest or anything. He's yeah. just there helping out, answering yeah. questions. Jason and Stabler are in an interview room, and they don't have him like in a regular interrogation room. He's just like sitting there having coffee. Mm-hmm. He thinks he's like just there to help them out. So Stabler comes right. in, super smiley. He tells Jason that the coffee in the precincts are always bad, and he's like, you better get used to it if you want to be a cop. And Jason's like, how do you know that? And he's like, oh, it's a pretty small company, Jason. People talk about comers. <laughs> Jason's like... <laughs> comers and he's like yeah guys on the fast track going places doing things i'm glad that he defined it because i would have not used that definition (laughs) for that word but he's just trying to sell him on like hey we're already talking about you and like you're great you're coming in here you're gonna be a big deal over here yeah um so he's kind of treating him just like a buddy you know yeah he's like oh they haven't called you yet jason's like no they haven't they haven't called and he seems like oh oh, oh." like he's totally fallen into it yeah so stabler has his little yellow legal pad and he pretends to take a note he's like i am gonna check in on that there's obviously a snag if they haven't called you yeah you're awesome you're super (laughs) rad dude for sure yeah and he's just putting him at ease jason's just like we are both cop friends now yeah right now jason's working at fortress armored cars and stabes casually asks why he quit his last job he's like weren't you up for a promotion or something and jason like well i don't really need to work um if i don't want to and stabler goes can't feel very good having mommy pay the bills Mm -hmm. and he's like she doesn't pay my bills i have a trust (laughs) from my mom (laughs) stabler's like why work at all (laughs) yeah he's like super smiley and he's got this mug that has a smiley face on it (laughs) yeah Yeah. like if he couldn't make it anymore he also was wearing clown shoes you couldn't see him because they didn't show his shoes (laughs) but he squeaked when he walked yeah he like actually rode into the interrogation room in a tiny car. He was making balloon animals the whole conversation. Uh, <laughs> you didn't kill it, right? <laughs> Poodle. So Jason said he wanted to work to have somewhere to go and like something to take pride in. Mm-hmm. And then Stabler's like, why did you quit your copy game job? Like everyone respected you and your work ethic. And he says he didn't really want to say. And Saber's like, oh, you, did you do something fucked up? Did you quit before they could fire you? Were you stealing? Or, I don't know, zooming in on people's body parts? <laughs> like, make that at least the third or fourth one, dude. Yeah. <laughs> and the dude kind of gets defensive, and he was like, dude, that was Greg Spector, not me. Stabler is like, oh, so why'd you quit? And he kind of, I wish I could describe this. Yeah, he, he, he rests like, his chin on his hand. Just, like, really cute. Like, yeah. oh, tell me a story and like he's sipping his coffee so jason says he was being sexually harassed by ronnie but he liked her and didn't want her to get into trouble so he quit you know he liked her husband and she had a family and stuff and i was like okay so we're in the precinct now ronnie's husband calls out to benson he's like holding a big box he looks like shit he's got like a fucking beard going he's kind of yelling a little he's just getting louder and louder and he's like their their camcorder had broken a few months ago and ronnie bought him a new one and it came today and he shoves this box into benson's arms and he's pissed he says they've been digging and dirtying Ronnie's name. And she's like, I know, dude, you're upset, but like, we have to follow leads. Right. They have to. He asked her to read the card that came with the camera, and then he screams at her to read it, and everyone in the precinct kind of like looks around and like, what the fuck's going and on? And nobody tackles him. Nobody which does is weird. anything. Yeah. 
Because remember that time that that uh, mm-hmm. flower delivery guy came in and did almost nothing and was like, hey, are you Olivia Benson? And everybody pulls their gun on him. And this guy's screaming in her face, giving her a box of they don't know what. And they're yeah. like, what's this guy doing? What's in the box? What's in the box? <laughs> oh, my God. That's so sad, too. So um, the card said, to baby Tandy number four, shoot till you drop. Love, Ronnie. So she had bought in the camera for the new baby. That was like how she was going to tell him that they were having another child. Yeah. So she wasn't having an affair. I mean, maybe she was, but like she, the I baby's know, her husband. I but he was like, see, yeah. this was a surprise for me because yeah. we were having a baby. Yeah. So he's just, he's, he's super mad. He's such a mess. I know. We're at the police academy. Benson's running around doing all the stuff like while Stabler is in there talking to dude. She's yeah. talking to the guy at the police academy. Um, this guy looks like the most cliche TV police academy I cop. I know. He's like rotund and yeah. kind of cocky and kind of aloof. Yeah. So Jason like kicked ass at the written exam and then just barely passed the physical. And his psych exam, he totally failed. His profile skews towards aggression, aggression during stress, but not at the normal levels. The way he says it so like we got enough angry, aggressive cops out there. And it's like, yeah, yeah. you know it. Yeah. You knew it in 2001. Change it. There are two letters of recommendations from Ronnie, the victim, obviously. One is like in an, an awesome review, and the other one is to rescind that review. Uh, yeah. So she pulled her initial support for Jason. The Academy Guide tried to call Ronnie to ask her why she rescinded her recommendation, but she never returned his call. And the whole time that they're talking, the whole time that Benson is talking to this dude at the Academy, there's all these cadets and whatever walking around and talking to each other and stuff. Mm -hmm. And there's one dude in the background not wearing athletic attire, but he's jogging in place while he's talking to two other dudes. Oh, I never noticed that. And so at first I'm like, what is this fucking guy doing? And then I was like, oh, this is an acting trick that extras use sometimes to get noticed just moving around my brother-in-law is the one who told us about this and he's done it in tons of like extra work that he's who done the fuck so brother-in-law glenn who's glenn heather's husband who the fuck is heather john's sister oh my brother-in-law like there's an episode of arrested development that he's in and you can tell which one is him because he's like way in the background but then he does this huge motion and your eyes go to him mm-hmm. so i think that's what this extra was doing oh now we're back in the room with jason and stabler jason's getting tired and he's like I don't think I'm really like helping much. He seems like he wants to go home. Stabler keeps telling him he's being so helpful. And like Stabler's really tugging on this dude's dick, like major ego boosting. Mm-hmm. Jason didn't turn Ronnie in for sexual harassment because he didn't want her to lose her job, like I said before. And then there's this dramatic light across Stabler's face. Mm-hmm. And he's like, Jason, what we discuss in this room does not leave here. Right. And I'm like, uh, there is literally no less than three people on the other side of the glass right there yeah how much can they lie to him in there probably a ton are you kidding me so much how much are they allowed to lie to them i have no clue that's what i meant but you know they do yeah i did i i I immediately go to like brendan dassey's interrogation yeah that's what i was okay uh stable asked jason if he like encouraged her in some way like he did send her flowers and stuff jason said he did that after she did him a favor like writing the letters he said that she was always doing him favors and he thought that she did that with everyone else but turns out 
she was hung up on him. Like she'd call him at home and she'd drop by his place. Yeah. He said he was flattered at first, but she was married with kids and like he liked her husband and it wasn't going to happen. Jason said that everything he did was a come on to her. Hmm. She imagined this relationship that did not exist and she lied a lot. He was getting super flustered. Yeah. Like she wanted to have drinks with him and he was like, but she was pregnant and she shouldn't be drinking. And I was like, oh, you know she's pregnant, but not even her husband or her friends. Stabler's listening to this, staring out the window the whole time, through the blinds, staring out the window like fucking Kim Richards. <laughs> Please, if you get that. I don't. We're friends now. I don't get it. Who is it? <laughs> Peeking through the blinds. I know you don't get it, and that's okay. Is that from a... Uh... It's Real Housewives. Okay. Kim Richards is iconic. There's an iconic gif made of her just like peeking through the blinds. I'll post it. And then Stabler's like, oh, um, how did you know she was pregnant? He said Ronnie told him, but like she didn't even tell her husband. Like, why would mm-hmm. she only tell him? Then he says, he's like, well, we were super close. And like, none of this adds up to me because it's like, okay, you said she was sexually harassing you. And that right. doesn't mean that you can't be close with somebody that's sexually harassing you. But like, it's just something's not right. Yeah. And then Stabler's like, um, when did she tell you? And the pressure is just like... Yeah, and then Stabler's beeper goes off. Craig and Huang and Cabot are behind the glass, and then Stabler comes in to meet them. Craig wants a search warrant, but they don't have anything to base it on. Cabot's telling them that they have to let Jason walk. Stabler's is like, he knew she was pregnant and killed her anyway. Fuck this guy. Mm-hmm. You know, like, Stabler is emotionally flip-flopping everywhere this episode mm-hmm. because he's acting as dick off yeah in this room with jason yeah and cabot's like this guy's gonna walk uh we need to get something out of him so anything he says pre being mirandized is inadmissible in court and huang jumps in and says even the playing field jason hates women get on his level and be a fucking dirtbag nasty ass yeah and he's like isn't that gonna make him suspicious yeah, but this guy likes to talk. Like He likes to be powerful, but he's fucking timid. He needs to be able to tell you about how powerful he is. Yeah. He wants to reveal it to you. Super Cop Staves goes into gear switch mode. Beep, boop, beep. Flipping to locker room talk. Grab her by the pussy. Bzz, yeah. Beep, Grab her by the pussy. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Grab her by the pussy. Okay, I'm not doing this again. Keep <laughs> Stabler pops back into the room with Jason. He slams the door while he's rolling up his sleeves and Jason immediately falls for it. And he's like, bad news. And Staves is acting like he's all mad and he's going, my stupid stone crunching slut wife. He's getting into this like, I'm a dick mode to try and get Jason to talk. And it works. Mm -hmm. Jason thinks he's getting Stabler. Like he's pulling this out of Stabes when really Stabes is the one in charge. Mm -hmm. And he's like, I've been married for 16 years, 16 long Long, dry years. Mm-hmm. And Jason's like, <laughs> so let me guess, your oldest is 16. Staves is like, yeah. <laughs> and Jason's like, huh, you're a cliche. Responsible guy, good man, gets caught out there. Woman is just looking for a free ride. Fuck you. Wish.com John Ritter. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that was good. <laughs> Fucking threes company looking motherfucker. <laughs> Witch.com John Ritter. Yeah. (laughs) Stabler goes on talking like he married his wife because she got pregnant and the only solace he gets is going to his job. Mm -hmm. And Jason's like, yeah, I mean, it's the best job ever. You get to put the bad guys away. 
And Stabler's like, yeah, the best part is trying to figure out the motive because there's always a reason and innocent victims are very rare. And he's really real in Jason. And now yeah. Jason sits down and leans in and he's like, do you think that's true? And he's like, yeah, especially the women victims. They're asking for it. Mm-hmm. And then Stabler's like, they take our manhood. They suck us dry. They mess with our heads. And then they're surprised when we fight back. Yeah, he did a whole thing. I (laughs) fucking threw my head back and left (laughs) so hard. Yeah. Oh, that whole side head thing was like the... Yeah. (laughs) Then they're surprised. (laughs) Yeah. Jason asked Stabler if he thinks Ronnie was asking for it. And Stabes is like, yes. He's like, you knew her. You tell me. Jason's mm. like, she was a bitch. Yeah. And Stabler's like, what did she do to you, man? Like, come on, Jason. Are you really, are you really falling yeah. for all this? After that head turn um, thing, I've been like, I'm going home. Yeah. <laughs> this is a joke. So he's like, well, it was after she rescinded her recommendation to the Academy. It pissed me off. She took my dream. He goes on and tells Stabler that she wanted him to meet her outside of Crazy Bob's <laughs> department store. <laughs> for sex sure she did i want to go fuck on a pile of plastic trinkets and wind up toys like get the fuck out of here meet me at the toy barn (laughs) is that is that the the toy store in toy story i don't know al's toy barn (laughs) come fuck me in this giant chicken suit (laughs) what's what's that something in a chance of meatballs what's that called Oh, Cloudy with a Chance. Cloudy with a Chance of fucking. (laughs) That's so stupid. That wind up for that. I know. I know. That's good. Jurassic (laughs) cock. Okay, I'm done. I'm done. There actually is a fucking porn call at Jurassic cock. And I remember this. I bet. Because I worked at Mr. Movies in high school. You have it on Laserdisc? Uh, it was VHS. I wasn't, I was 17. I wasn't supposed to be putting away the porn and stuff, but I did it anyways. And I was, right. I remember seeing that and being like, <gasps> brilliant. <laughs> People are brilliant. Dicks, 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 dicks. Like dicks and dinosaurs coming together? Like, oh. I was picturing dinosaur dicks coming together. Oh, coming together. Gross. Then it's just Jeff Goldblum sitting in a car, like, Covered, but it's like the scene where it's raining, but it's jizz. It's dinosaur jizz. It's Jurassic porn. <laughs> I thought you were going to say, it's Jurassic pork. <laughs> it's Jurassic pork watching dinos pork. I wonder what... <laughs> There's no real dinosaur. There's no dinosaur sex happening. It's just between like a Jeff Goldblum lookalike and everyone else. <laughs> Anyway, so they're supposed to meet outside of Crazy Bob's apartment to sort of fuck. And yeah. she said that if he slept with her, she could fix it. Like, resend the resend letter or whatever. Yeah, she had told him, if you bang me, then we could figure something out. Yeah, and he said that they made out, but he couldn't do it because he like likes her husband and she's got a family. Now we're at Fortress Armored Cars. Benson is talking to Jason's boss, so he's only been there for like two weeks. He says he's a good worker, but like won't stop talking about his girlfriend. And then this guy's like, if you ask me, the woman in the photograph doesn't even exist. And we're like, what? (laughs) The boss takes her to Jason's locker. and He's got all kinds of pics of Ronnie in his locker. And then there's a a really weird random one of her fucking ankles. Did you see that? Yeah. Like um, it's 1773. (laughs) 
And like all kinds of zoom boobs too. Mm -hmm. Like different angles and zoom in of boobs like hanging behind his jacket. But here's the thing. Security cameras don't. First of all, yeah, security cameras, you're not going to get a clean, old, unpixelated pair of close-up titties like that. Right. And I'm saying titties with two Ds, okay? Don't, like, act like it's weird that I'm saying titties. I'm not talking about you. I'm just, like, I don't like the word titties. Me either. And I don't <laughs> I like, like titties I either. I like titties, though, with two Ds. I don't, I don't. Titties. Check out Ds, titties. Stop moving your boobs. <laughs> Double D titties. <laughs> You didn't have to like grab your boobs while you were. Well, I guess you kind of do have to do that. I didn't yeah. grab them. I just like lifted them from the top. <laughs> ding, ding, ding. Ding, 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 Get it. <laughs> you turn it into a fucking stripper track. <laughs> oh my God. And then you could come out in like one of those inflatable T Rex costumes. Mm hmm. Anyway, so I don't understand. These lockers, they don't even have doors on them, okay? They're fully open lockers. Mm -hmm. Like, this guy is living out loud with his obsession about Ronnie. Mm -hmm. So then Benson's able to call in for the warrant because they finally have some evidence that Jason fixated on Ronnie. Right. So Benson's at Jason's apartment with forensics. So far, forensic hasn't found anything. He's got a ton of cop stuff, like magazines and shit. Well, one of the cops looks at Benson and is like, it's like, oh yeah, we found all this other shit. And she's like, let me guess, no trophies, no eight inch serrated Rambo knife. And I'm like, he drew first blood. That was a Stallone reference yeah, yeah. that she made. <laughs> anyway. So then Benson like opens a, this curtain in a closet and finds like a fuck ton of condoms. Little boxes of them stacked in neat little stacks. I thought they were like videotapes at first. I thought, yeah, I thought they were like audio, like little yeah. audio tapes. Yeah. And they were little boxes boxes of condoms yeah that you buy at a gas station yeah get a big pack yeah a, a couple of them if you want go to go to target and get a big pack you can get yeah you can get a fucking case at costco or some shit right if you like to have that many yeah he just clears out the fucking pdq down the street <laughs> and they're like come on dude just we know you're not fucking sake. that much okay go to walgreens <laughs> these are going to expire at your house <laughs> also if i was like forensics they'd be like dude we like just got here like we would have found it is it was just a curtain like <laughs> she's like whoa good thing i showed up to move this piece of fabric i was just gonna look in there olivia god i'm good at my job duh <laughs> so there's also some women's clothing in there too monogram gm there's some women's underwear in the laundry basket oh my god the guy that came out with the hamper First of all, he comes out looking like Jermaine from Flight of the Concords. <laughs> he fucking hits his mark with his one crucial line and goes, look, dirty laundry, including women's panties, mm -hmm. and pulls out these dingy ass period panty looking things, <laughs> fucking sensible ass cotton briefs. <laughs> like, it's not like, look at these women's underwear, like lacy red cliche TV show yeah. sexual thing. No, they are some they were white at one point but they've been washed with the colors enough uh, that they're dingy hmm. yeah he did a good job he didn't <laughs> he didn't he came in and like squared his shoulders and he's like look at this he's like wait which camera underwear <laughs> <laughs> they also find like a bunch of like bloody hat pins with like locations attached to them which is super weird hat pins like fancy as shit ones with big bulbs on the end mm -hmm. and they're in a pin cushion inside of a plexiglass display box mm -hmm. just like sitting on a shelf yeah benson wants them to send the undies and the pins to the lab and then call 
each location on each pin into Kragen for him to fucking to check out. Mm-hmm. This hat pin thing is so weird. Did you know that like, way back in the day they used to make like 10 inch hat pins and women would use them to stab men that were like harassing them on the street i love that yeah so many men were getting like stabbed for harassing and touching women they decided to ban hat pins being that long and like whatever they protected the men of course you know right i don't know if that's true it's either something i read or it's a fucking really cool dream i had and i'm not sure which one is which and these hat pins because like we get a close-up of them later they're gorgeous Mm -hmm. stabler walks back into the room where jason is and he's like you've been holding out on me He's like, I've treated you like a man. You've been treating me like some bitch. Yeah. See, at first I'm like, ooh, Stabler's going to come unglued. He's still acting. Yeah, He's yeah. still doing like the putting on an act. Yeah. And he's like, women should be lied to because they don't understand men. They never will. But men don't lie to other men. Yeah. What a fucking barf bag. But you know he's just... I know, he's, he's just acting. But people think like No one this. has more respect for Kathy Stabler or for Olivia Benson right. than... Elliot Stabler. Jason's like, I fucking want to go home. And Stabler mocks him. He's like, I want to go home. (laughs) Like, I want to go home. Yeah. Do you think this is fun for Stabler, though? Like, I know he's dealing with like a serious thing. And he's like, this is all depends on my acting skills as a detective. Mm -hmm. But it seemed really fun in that moment. Yeah. Oh, you do. He really did it like that. too, like super accentuated. Not like, oh, I want to go home. He's like, oh. He like made his whole face crunch up when he did it, you know. After he makes fun of him for wanting to go home, he's like, we found the photos, Jason. He's like, okay, yeah, she's my girlfriend. Okay. And Stabler's still mocking him. And he's like saying he's pathetic and wouldn't know what to do with a woman if you paid her. All the while, he's like tossing these photos one by one one like hitting jason in the face just like completely like disrespecting him you know yeah. and, sh- and he's like she's too beautiful to like you jason <laughs> jason gets up to leave he opens the door to the room so now the door is open to the whole entire rest of the precinct mm-hmm. and stabler just starts fucking yelling and he's like if you leave you look guilty and everybody's gonna think you did it and you fucking killed ronnie and blah 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 and you don't have a dick and he's just like yelling <laughs> yeah. a bunch of shit everybody's gonna harass you and your mommy is that what you want? Go ahead. Bye-bye. Yeah. He said, go ahead. <laughs> and he's like, oh, my God, shut up. And he shuts the door yeah. and stays in the room because Stabler yeah, he, has better skills than he does. He's just like saying all these things that would like traditionally emasculate somebody. Jason's like, oh, my God. OK, fine. Um, he's like, I loved her and she was going to leave her fucking husband, but couldn't because she got stupid pregnant. <laughs> Jason screams like I didn't fucking kill her and like asked for a lawyer and Stabler yeah. says he's like why do you want a fucking lawyer they make everything worse man <laughs> and this like dude wants to leave and Stabler says fine I'll come with we'll finish up at your house <laughs> <laughs> and this dude is pissed he's like just fucking leave me alone and then Stabler turns on the like hey man I'm like so confused why are you so angry like we're almost done. So gaslighty. Yeah, like, what's, when the questions are answered truthfully, you can leave. He's just mind-fucking him. He literally was like, to- yeah, you're right, total gaslighting. Like, why are you so angry? After he was just like, they're gonna think you're guilty. <laughs> like, I'm coming to your house. <laughs> cool, let's go. <laughs> Benson's at Grace Mayberry's house now, slash Jason's mom. Grace Mayberry, GM. <gasps> On the shirt. Fucking period panties. <laughs> they didn't have period in them. They just, like, looked like panties. You'd be like, I guess, I mean, these are good enough for to keep for my period period panties period we're all comfortable with me saying that right a lot period Period, yeah all right oh my god and she's fucking wearing a turtleneck with a pearl necklace 
outside of it. Outside of it. <laughs> she was perfectly dressed for her role. They dressed her like how in a fucking insane person would dress themselves with a tur- <laughs> with a pearl necklace outside of her turtleneck. I hope she gets the death sentence. I don't know if she even did anything, but I hope she gets the death sentence. That's got to be on the books somewhere. Back in 1732, there's a law. No necklaces outside if, your turtleneck. If you wear a pearl necklace on the outside of your turtleneck, it's signaling that you're a prostitute. <laughs> turtleneck? More like fucking tortoise neck. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> what? I don't know. I was trying to think of a turtleneck slut joke. <laughs> And it seemed a little far-fetched. I couldn't get there. So Grace to Benson is like, do I need to call the police? And Benson's like, um, um, I'm already here and I am the police. (laughs) I love that. Benson then hands her a blouse that was found in Jason's apartment. She's like, is this yours? And Grace is like, I leave my clothes there sometimes. If I want to see him, I need to go to him in the city. Because remember, he doesn't come and stay with her because he doesn't like to be at that house because his dad died and whatever. So sometimes they they go, they go out to dinner, they go to a show, and she'll crash at his house if they hang out too late. I guess I didn't really think that that was weird until Benson was like, what did you do to you? Yeah, go ahead. Yeah, Benson's like, oh, where do you sleep? Because... I've been there and there's only one Murphy bed and it's like not that far of a drive. And she's like, it's an hour, which I'm not going to side with Grace, but on this I will. Yeah. Like, I don't like driving in the dark. So if it's like if I'm somewhere late and it's an hour away, I'd probably stay over. Yeah. But yeah, the whole like there only being a Murphy bed there and like she's like, I didn't see a cot either. Oh, the guy doesn't even have a couch. His mom has a gold plated fucking toilet and he doesn't have anything more than a Murphy bed in his apartment. He doesn't have to work. He has a trust. Like, why wouldn't you buy a couch? Why wouldn't you buy an apartment? Why don't you live in a brownstone, dude? Like, why don't you have an apartment like that one teacher from earlier in the season that like taught fucking students after school and did a side work on the Internet? Yeah. I don't get it. Yeah, it doesn't make sense. But anyway, there's nowhere for her to sleep in there. So she's implying that they sleep in the same bed together. Mm -hmm. And Benson just full on confronts it and goes, what the hell did you do to your son? And Grace goes, I don't like your questions and I don't like your tone. And all I could think of when I was hearing her say that and seeing her vibe is Lucille Bluth. Mm. I don't understand the question and I won't respond to it. (laughs) Here's $10. Go to see a Star War. (laughs) Or whatever. <laughs> what can a banana cost, Michael? Ten dollars. Yeah. R.I.P. Jessica Walter. I know. Ugh. I was not expecting incest in this. Yeah. I don't like this. This is stuff I don't I like. I know. I don't like it either. For the record, yeah. if we're going on record with it, I don't like it either. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know how like you have your your you're like oh fuck I don't want to do like a child mm-hmm. stuff and mm-hmm. like I obviously don't like it either but for some reason like my it, thing but, is yeah. like the incest thing I'm, I'm just like Buster. Can you do that on the balcony, buddy? Mom says it's too windy. <laughs> All right, go ahead. We're, uh, it's a bird. It walked on my pillow. <laughs> <laughs> oh, shit. Okay, we're in Craigan's okay. office. Craigan and Wong are looking at the bloody pins they found in Jason's apartment and the locations attached. The locations are on these pins, like, like around the needly part, like a little flag. Yeah. So there are corresponding complaints at all of those locations around the city. So mm-hmm. then Wong starts talking about peakerism, which is a sexual interest in penetrating the skin of another person with sharp objects. So Ronnie was murdered with a knife. And so Wong was like, oh my God, that's actually peakerism. And I just like missed it. You 
you could tell he's just so fucking into his job too because mm-hmm. he's like yeah peak rhythm. i can't believe i missed it yes so there are six women in town who were stabbed with hat pins from behind and didn't see who it was mm-hmm. can you fucking imagine that i can't fucking that would be fucking nuts especially if they're like those gigantic yeah big long pins and those pins oh my god this is when we get a good close-up look at them gorgeous yeah they're they're pretty we're back in the room with jason and stabler and stabler's going through all the victims of the stabbings and wanting an explanation jason's like i want to fucking go home benson walks in with a file and she hands it to stabler so he can read it yeah and she kind of like shoots jason this like she feels sorry for him look like just because she knows about the mom stuff mm-hmm. you know she's like oh you're fucked up and fucked yeah and then she leaves the room yeah stabler stops looks at Jason and says, oh, how long has your mother been sleeping with you? Jason loses it and calls him crazy. He slams his fist on the two-way glass and tells him that they're all sex on the brain crazy because of working in SVU. Now it's the real Stabler. And he's like, she has no right to touch you like that. She had no right to abuse you. Like, you can see the real Stabler. Yeah trying to talk to this guy now because he just saw him going from he's still a perp but also a victim right stabler suggests that it was started when he was six like he was still sleeping with his mother you know he would get scared and climb in her bed and then jason's just like i want this to stop stabler keeps going saying that he probably slept alone at 10 but she would come in and say he was the man of the house now and like jason starts banging his head on the glass and this is when you can really tell wong loves his job because he is like clutching his fucking chin like, everybody's kind of, like, flinching when he hits the thing, and Wong yeah. is just up close, like, just analyzing his face. He's watching it like he's Jane fucking Goodall, right? Right, yeah. And he just found a new chimp, and he's just like, yeah. who are you? He is drinking in this guy's pathology. Yep. Stabler keeps going, saying that his mom initiated him into his first sexual experiences when he was hitting puberty, and Stabler just starts going, it wasn't your fault. And Jason staggers out yes yes it was and jason then turns away from the two-way glass and slides down to a sitting position on the floor like he slides against the wall and he's got tears in his eyes but then all of a sudden this is so creepy and he puts his fingers um, in his mouth and he's stuff. like sucking on his fingers and licking them and like flopping his lips around with his hands you know like in an infant kind of way yeah and he's like, I'm a dirty little boy. I can't keep my hands to myself. And then, so you could tell he's like being his mom, and then he's being him, and then he's being his mom. Lying boy, don't look. Okay, look, don't touch. Okay, touch. Oh, go away. Come hold me. Does that feel good? You're such a good little boy. Just so fucking creepy. Oh, disturbing. He's like fully mentally cracking. Yeah. Well, now Benson and Stabler have Jason cuffed and they're walking him through the precinct with Cragen and Huang. That one lawyer that we hate pops in and wants to know the charges. Not the octopus legs lawyer or the pickle thief. Which one was this guy? I know we don't like him. I don't know, but we don't like him. Because he he's like, he's always like, oh yeah. You know, he's just being a fucking twat. Okay, so, so far... They've got murder and rape as charges against Jason. Mm -hmm. Jason's mom comes in and goes right up to him. And she's like, what have you done? You filthy lying bastard. 
Do you realize what this will do to me? His lawyer pulls her aside like, shut up, and tells Jason to keep his mouth shut too. Mm-hmm. So now we're in court and uh, the judge is that one lady that we love. Yeah, this this is the little um, Judge Judy-ish kind of lady mm-hmm. who does not fuck around. Yeah. So Jason's lawyer says, fucking Jason's not guilty. Cabot wants remand. Jason's lawyer is like, dude, the family's upstanding family in New Jersey and he's not a flight risk. And Cabot's like, uh, he has a huge trust and the family has a ton of wealth and he has the means and opportunity to run. And Cabot's like, well, the victim was seven weeks pregnant. And the guy's like, objection. And then there's a gavel slam. And the judge is like, nice try, counselor. Don't. Mm-hmm. But bail is set at a million. And Tasha, what is that in Dog the Bounty Hunter money? Like, what is that? $100,000. It's uh. 10%. It's just 10%. Always. Oh. Okay. It's not like they couldn't afford Of course they could afford it. They're going to get him out. $100,000 isn't fucking... It's not shit when you got a gold toilet and you're not paying dick for an apartment for your son. <laughs> right. Ew, she got that apartment on purpose so that the, she would have to share bed with her. <gasps> That's why... Oh my god, I didn't okay. even think of that. Yuck. So Cabot and the other lawyer are doing a walk and talk. Like, she's not up for a deal. And he's like, I don't want one. I don't even want one. My client is not guilty. And Cabot's like, dude, I have his confession. I have fucking bloody hat pins. And a homicide victim who is known to Jason. Like, he's going down. We don't need to make a deal. And then this dude hands her a search warrant thingy. Yeah, and she just stands there looking a little shook as the fancy elevator door closes in front of her face. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, what is that? Yeah. We're back in court at the motion hearing. This judge is the Ray Zielinski judge, Mm -hmm. and it looks like he's growing his hair out. Um, The lawyer says that the hat pins weren't in the scope of the search warrant, and Cabot's like, they were in plain view, and the guy's like, no, they weren't. They were up really high, but they were looking for a knife. Like, it's universal knowledge that no matter what, humans don't put knives above shoulder level or something. Obviously, the judge is like, if someone's looking for a knife and finds hat pins instead, I'm not going to throw them out. That's a weird argument. Right. So the hat pins get to remain as evidence. The lawyer says that he was in constitutional violation. Jason asked for a lawyer and was denied access. Cabot says that Jason wasn't under arrest at the time. Well, the lawyer says that the cops are notorious for their intimidation tactics. He asked for a lawyer and he didn't get one. Yeah, I don't necessarily disagree with that. I don't either. Yeah. Yeah. So anyway, the the judge agrees, too. And the confession gets thrown out. Yeah. The judge isn't going to, like, fuck with that shit. Yeah. No. He's like, I'm going to err on the side of caution here because that's a little iffy. Right. Because Fast and Loose Stabes does what Fast and Loose Stabes does. Yeah. So we're in the precincts again. Cabot and Stabler are fucking toe to toe. She's mad he wasn't more careful while Jason was talking. They're fucking fighting. Craigan's like, fucking chill out, you guys. Cabot screams at Stabes. Do you know the trial closer rate on sex crimes cases is 4%? 4%? Are you for fucking real? I know. I didn't know that. I didn't know that either. And everybody's like, why didn't she report? Because the trial closure rate on sex crimes is 4%? Yeah. Yeah. I have an anger migraine. <laughs> Jason's with his mom in New Jersey right now. Like, he's staying with her. He's Jersey. Skis in his jeans. (laughs) (laughs) uh, Jason, that's such a fucking good movie. It's so good. I told you that my ex, I said something from that movie once, and he goes, what is that from? And I'm like, just friends. And he's like, that's not a quotable movie. And I'm like, (gasps) we're breaking up. Christmas cookie. Oh, my God. No, no, stop. More, more. (laughs) No. Oh, these plastic menus won't do. I need salmon, like now. Daddy, we're down. Your names are Clark and Darla. (laughs) Be yourself. Be yourself. (laughs) Dingleman. (laughs) 
He's like. <laughs> anyway, he's in Jersey. He's in with Jersey with his mom. He's staying with his fucking mom, which I was like, Ugh. Wang asked if they can reconstruct his movements after the attacks. He thinks he went home to his mom after each attack. It all starts and ends with her. Their murder weapon, the knife, the serrated knife thing, whatever, the Rambo knife. Yeah. (laughs) Was that your arm talking? Your tattoo? (laughs) The murder weapon might be at her house. I'm just passing through. (laughs) Sorry. Yeah, what's that town's deal? God, like, chill. You should just... What is that town's deal? The whole town. <laughs> yeah. Wong says that Jason suffers from peakerism. We talked about that. The knife mm-hmm. used to kill Ronnie represents his penis. Just like his penis, it is not disposable. He did not throw it away. So now we're at the office of County Prosecutor Malcolm Sanders. Cabot is trying to get a warrant for Grace's house in Jersey. This dude doesn't think it's going to fly based on the evidence she has, which isn't like anything, really, you know? Just because they have Jason's receipt in Jersey after each hat pin attack isn't enough to prove he stashed a murder weapon in his mom's house. Yeah. Like he could have just been driving around. He could stab somebody in New York and just drove around Jersey. Like there's not much. Stabler goes off about how dumb all the red tape is. Yeah, he's like, well, what has to happen before you bottom feeding suits get off your collective asses and do your jobs? It's like, do you want any of these cases to to make it? <laughs> like, you have to do stuff. Right. Staves is completely out of patience at this point, though. Yeah. Did you see Olivia take like a triple breath? <laughs> she was like, <sighs> that was an anxiety breath. Yeah, out of frustration like, for Stabler. <sighs> Yeah, she did a good job doing an anxiety breath because... Yeah. So Cabot is just trying to get him to fucking shut up. Yeah, Sanders goes to Stabes. They're not looking at each other. One is facing one side of the room and the other's facing the other. Mm-hmm. And Sanders is like, you don't make a lot of friends, do you? And Stabes like, yeah, well... <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and Cabot and Benson are just calmly waiting for them to put their fucking dicks away so they can get to business. I cannot believe men are in charge. I know. Like a scene like this I'm watching and the women are both just like, just wait for it. They're going to tire themselves out. It's fine. Yeah. It's, it's fine. so crazy how we'll people are always like, women are so dramatic. And then you're like, I'm sorry, what? A woman can't be president. She can't handle the pressure. Have you ever seen two guys just fist fight outside of a bar? Like, <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> yes. Okay. I've been waiting for a cab at bar time with a group of people and one dude makes eye contact with another dude. They have not exchanged any words or anything, and they just end up in a fucking brawl with each other. Mm-hmm. It is animalistic and fucking embarrassing. It is embarrassing. And it's always it's like, I felt disrespected. And you're like, oh, my God. Yeah. Like, are you kidding me? You're going to call fucking me dramatic? Please. Yeah. Ew. So Cabot says that Jason's mom, Grace, made him the man he is by warping his mind. She destroyed his female victims as if she stabbed them herself. I mean, I don't know. Yeah. I mean, I feel bad for him as like growing up in it and being a victim. He makes his own choices, you know? Yeah. Malcolm Sanders says Judge Chandler, a friend of the frat that he went to, might let them get by with this, which fucking annoyed me. So like they might be able to get this fucking warrant that... Based on nothing. Yeah, it's based on guys in fucking pink khaki shorts and polo shirts, white handshake. Yeah. And he probably was like, hey, remember when the five of us got drunk and like killed that stripper? Like, can you do this thing for me? Yeah, you owe me. (laughs) Yeah. You took my boat shoes and I was pissed. (laughs) Those were my sperries, David. (laughs) so they're at grace and jason's house i assumed the judge was like butt chugging in college (laughs) so i was like they must have gotten this butt chugging judge to sign the warrant because 
Because Benson and Stabler are at the house with some cops, like the door and the doors open and they just walk in. So they're sweeping the place for them. Oh, my God. They fucking find them naked in bed together. Ugh. Jason is stroking her hair and there's blood everywhere. And the knife, the knife sitting on the nightstand. Yeah. He killed her. Like one edge of the knife is serrated. It's the knife he used to kill Ronnie with as well. He's stroking his mom's hair and he looks over his shoulder and goes, I told her. I'm not a little boy anymore. Mmm, yuck. Yeah. This was a good episode. It was fucked. It is good. Warnings for this chaser. Graphic descriptions of murder, cannibalism, child murder. Just skip it if that's not something that you can hear. So this episode isn't based on a specific case, but it is based on peekerism, which is just the act of penetrating someone's skin with a sharp object for sexual gratification. And it's considered a paraphilia and like a form of sadism. So they just kind of built the story around that. Um, yeah. But I was pretty deep in going into a different direction with this, considering like the weird mom stuff that mm-hmm. was happening in the episode but i kept coming back to this one dude this fucking peak peakerist see what i did there yeah (laughs) his name's albert fish this is who i was telling you about i know as soon as i like as i was doing my research i'm like this is nuts and then i saw the thing about the um the x-ray and i was like oh fuck everybody knows about this guy but it's what it's what we're doing yeah no i'm excited this guy fucking intrigues me so much i've watched like all the things i can f- ever find on him but I'm, I'm always like awful is there anything else i can like is it so fucked yeah, yeah it's it's super awful and and i've got the you know since i try to keep these somewhat shorter it's there's there's so many details of his crimes so i've condensed it a bit but yeah if you want to go down a fucking sick okay hole this is your guy mm-hmm like anything fucked up you can think of is something he did. Yeah. And he was like old. So Ugh. weird. So weird how fucking old and frail and he looked he looked like the like a, like a he neighborhood looked like the grandpa. guy from Home Alone who saved Kevin but that the kids were afraid of in the beginning. Oh, yeah. Okay, so no offense to that guy because he's a hero and a legend. <laughs> All right, Albert Fish, aka the Gray Man, the Werewolf of Wisteria, the Brooklyn Vampire, the Moon Maniac and the Boogeyman. Hamilton Howard Fish, better known as Albert, was born May 19th, 1870 in Washington, D.C. How did they get Albert out of any of that? Okay, so Albert was the name of his brother who had passed away when he was a kid, and he just kind of like adopted his dead brother's name. Okay. His father was 75 at the time of Fish's birth and was 43 years older than Fish's mom. This family had a history of debilitating mental illness, including his uncle, his brother, his sister, and his mother. So this is going to continue to be a thread throughout his entire life. Mm -hmm. When Fish was five years old, his father had a heart attack and died. His mother then put him and his siblings in St. John's Orphanage in Washington. Whoa. She she couldn't care for the kids. You know, like this is the fucking 1800s. Like the late 1800s. And, uh, yeah, late 1800s. This woman probably isn't making money on her own. She's suffering with mental illness and her husband just died. Mm-hmm. So unfortunately at this orphanage is where he started experiencing very regular abuse. He does claim later to have grown to enjoy the beatings. Fish's mom had always seen this whole thing as a temporary situation. And in 1880, when she was able to get a government job, she pulled her kids out of the orphanage. But the damage had already been done. Like, Mm -hmm. I mean, it was abusive. It was an abusive situation. 
Mm-hmm. At 12 years old, Fish began a sexual relationship with a telegraph boy who introduced him to some pretty advanced kinks, including mm-hmm. urolagnia and coprophagia, which is drinking piss and eating shit. Okay. Okay. He, what? Okay. Yeah. I was trying to find a way to not like act grossed out by it because like I don't want to shame anybody's kinks ever, but I'm like No. They're advanced kinks. And uh right? How would you yeah. describe that? I don't know. I I just feel like some kinks are just not okay. <laughs> I know it's like terrible, but like the kinks shit, that aren't like, okay to me are the ones that hurt other people. Yeah. You know, I don't know. Uh, I'm not. I'm not like. It's, I'm not testing the waters to see if you're okay with like me eating shit. You know. <laughs> no. Yeah. I just uh just keep going. Yeah. Just keep going. Fish would spend his weekends visiting public baths to watch other boys undress. He also liked to troll the classifieds, sending random explicit letters to women. By the time Fish was 20, he had moved Wait. to New York City. <laughs> Huh? Was that is that like the text version of like a fucking dick pic now or something? Prank call. Yeah, like he's pr- the OG yeah. troll. Yeah, he yeah, would go yeah. through classified ads for like people, you know, like looking to sell something or looking like to hire someone for a job for something. And then four days later, some chick opens an envelope and it's like nice tits, and she's like, <laughs> "What the fuck? Disgusting! Like yeah. trash." It's like my writing. Tinder at fucking two a.m. <laughs> yeah, it's a it's a literary dick pic is what this guy would send. Yeah. Unsolicited. Yeah. Okay. Mm -hmm. She's like, I'm trying to sell this fucking rocking horse and this motherfucking. (laughs) I don't need this. I just turned a shit ton of butter and I just want to get rid of it. Like what? Come on. Does this envelope smell like shit? (laughs) Cause he licked it. (laughs) Oh God. By the time Fish was 20, he had moved to New York City where he began sex work. But eight years later, his mother had set up a marriage arrangement for him. So he was then married to 19-year-old Anna Marie Hoffman. They had six fucking kids. Okay. Throughout the entire 1890s, Fish was molesting children, most often boys under six years old. Around the age of 40... Fish met 19-year-old Thomas Kedden while he was working in Wilmington, Delaware. The men began a sexual relationship, but it's unclear if it was consensual. Everything I read was like it would hint at a sec like he had had consensual sexual relationships, obviously, mm-hmm. but it just wasn't confirmed. But then I read something that said um, he had later told police that Kedden was intellectually disabled, which mm. could Isn't- be the factor in it not being consensual. Yeah. So 10 days into this sexual relationship, Fish took Kedden to a secluded farmhouse and he spent the next two weeks torturing him until he finally tied him up and cut half his penis off. <gasps> he had originally planned to murder Kedden, cut up his body and take it home with him. But it was really hot outside. So he didn't want, I'm assuming the smell, he didn't want people, yeah. he didn't want to be given away um, traveling back home. So he decided instead to pour peroxide on Kedden's terrible injury, wrap it in a hanky covered in Vaseline, leave him a $10 bill, give the dude a kiss and leave. Whoa. I didn't realize he was still alive. He was still alive when Fish left him. And he said, quote, I took the first train I could get back home, never heard what became of him or tried to find out. Damn. Jesus, fuck. In 1917, Fish's wife left him for another man, taking pretty much everything. So after this, he began to have auditory hallucinations. He also started self-harm. Now, it can be argued that this stuff was happening prior because of the... Mental illness in his family. Well, because of the mental illness and because he enjoyed pain for pleasure. So uh, this is where we hear about the things he would do to self-harm. He would soak wool in lighter fluid and put it up his ass and light it on fire. (gasps) 
Um, I really thought through the process of that, and I really don't understand it. Burns hurt so bad. I don't know. I don't know. I, know. I don't get it. Especially, like, I don't know, anything before, like, 1980, I'm like, how did anybody survive? Yeah, <laughs> you know, no. like It's like, if because if you get an infection and you don't have, I mean, they had, like, antibiotics and stuff then, but, like, everything was just... It's just I don't know. Yeah. Anything before, like, what's that do you get in your back when you have a kid? Epidural. Anything pre-epidurals, I'm like, how did anybody survive? Like, yeah. you know, like women had to just give birth. Like, ugh. I would not have two kids. There's no fucking way. So here's the peakerism. Another self-harm thing he would engage in is he would embed needles into his groin and abdomen and would regularly hit himself with a nail-studded paddle. That was like his favorite thing. Mm -hmm. And there's no evidence that he physically abused his kids, but he did have them and their friends use his nail paddle on him. It was also at this time that he got super into cannibalism. Okay. He started eating raw meat, like, all the time, kind of, in a way, preparing for it. Sure. Fish was also suffering from psychosis at this point and felt that God was t telling him to torture and sexually mutilate children with what he called his, quote, implements of hell. He later said he selected people that were either mentally handicapped or black because he felt they would be less likely to be missed if they were killed. Oh, Jesus fucking Christ. He also said he would sometimes pay other boys to acquire victims for him. So on May 25th, 1928, Fish answered an ad in the classifieds. 18-year-old Edward Budd was looking for work, so posing as Frank Howard, farmer from Farmingdale, New York. <laughs> I know. <laughs> Fish visited Edward to talk about hiring him. Edward was living at his family home in Manhattan. Mm -hmm. Later, Fish confessed that he intended to restrain Edward, mutilate him, and let him bleed to death. Okay. So he was his intended target. After agreeing to hire Edward and his pal Willie, Fish said he would return a week later to pick them up and take them back to his farm. When he returned, he had lunch with the family, and this is where he met Edward's little sister, 10-year-old Grace Budd. He told mm -hmm. Ed and Grace's parents that he had to go to his niece's birthday party and would return then to pick up Edward. Like we were talking about before, he was an unassuming-looking man. Like, he just seemed to look like this nice little old man. He told the Buds that he could take Grace to the party and would return her afterward in exchange for Edward. So he's like, hey, I'm going to my niece's party. He'd had lunch with these people. They've met him a couple of times. And they were like, yeah, sure. Grace, excited for a party and dressed in her absolute Sunday best, left with Albert Fish, never to be seen again. <sighs> Six years later, in November of 1934, Grace's mom received this letter. Oh, my God. I know this fucking letter. Yeah. And this is graphic. Have you mm -hmm. read this? Somebody read it on a documentary. I'm going to put, um, obviously, I'm going to put warnings and stuff in, but some of this stuff gets detailed. So skip yeah, ahead if you fun. don't want to hear this letter. It's very graphic. Yeah. My dear Mrs. Bud. In 1894, a friend of mine shipped as a deckhand on the steamer Tacoma Captain John Davis. They sailed from San Francisco to Hong Kong, China. On arriving there, he and two others went ashore and got drunk. When they returned, the boat was gone. At that time, there was a famine in China. Meat of any kind was from $1 to $3 a pound. So great was the suffering among the very poor that all children under 12 were sold to the butchers to be cut up and sold for food in order to keep others from starving. A boy or girl under 14 was not safe in the street. You could go in any shop and ask for steak, chops, or stew meat. Part of the naked body of a boy or girl would be brought out and just what you wanted cut from it. A boy or girl's 
behind, which is the sweetest part of the body and sold as veal cutlet, brought the highest price. John stayed there so long he acquired a taste for human flesh. On his return to New York, he stole two boys, one seven, one eleven, took them to his home, stripped them naked, tied them in a closet, and then burned everything they had on. Several times every day and night he spanked them, tortured them to make their meat good and tender. First he killed the eleven year old boy because he had the fattest ass and of course the most meat on it. Every part of his body was cooked and eaten except head, bones, and guts. He was roasted in the oven, all of his ass boiled, broiled, fried, stewed. The little boy was next, went the same way. At that time, I was living at 409 East 100th Street, rear right side. He told me so often how good human flesh was, I made up my mind to taste it. On Sunday, June the 3rd, 1928, I called on you at 406 West 15th Street, brought you pot cheese, strawberries. We had lunch. Grace sat in my lap and kissed me. I made up my mind to eat her on the pretense of taking her to a party. You said yes, she could go. I took her to an empty house in Westchester I had already picked out. When we got there, I told her to remain outside. She picked wildflowers. I went upstairs and stripped all my clothes off. I knew if I did not, I would get her blood on them. When all was ready, I went to the window and called her. Then I hid in a closet until she was in the room. When she saw me all naked, she began to cry and tried to run downstairs. I grabbed her and she said she would tell her mama. First, I stripped her naked, how she did kick, bite, and scratch. I choked her to death, then cut her in small pieces so I could take my meat to my rooms, cook, and eat it. How sweet and tender her little ass was roasted in the oven. It took me nine days to eat her entire body. I did not fuck her, though. I could have had I wished. She died a virgin. Oh, that's right. Should I leave all of that in? I don't know. <laughs> that was uh, super it's fucked. Like, yeah. Right? So now we're done with the letter. This is where it gets super SVU detective-y. Mm-hmm. So the letter came in an envelope with an emblem on it from the New York Private Chauffeurs Benevolent Association. Running down that lead, they found a janitor at the company that told them he had taken some stationery home. At the time, he'd been staying in a rooming house, which is just someone renting out individual rooms in their house. You know, yeah. He left the stationery in his room when he moved out. But guess who rented the room after him? Obviously, Albert Fish. Chief Investigator William F. King went to the house and waited for Fish to return. After agreeing to go down to the precinct to answer some questions, Fish pulled a razor blade on King, which King quickly got away from him and was like, Jesus Christ, Like we're going to go downtown. So as soon as they get down to the station and they're going to ask this guy some questions, Fish immediately was like, yeah, I killed Grace. I mean, I meant to kill her brother, but then I just shifted gears and killed her instead. So even though Fish claimed that it, quote, never even entered my head to sexually assault Grace, Fish's attorney said the kidnapping was sexually motivated because Fish confessed to involuntarily ejaculating twice while strangling her. This defense was used to avoid mentioning the cannibalism. Okay. So, you know, because they're like talking about motives and whatever else. And it's like, well, he confessed. What else can I work with here? Right. And he's straight up saying, like, my intention was to eat her, you know? Yeah. Can you imagine being a fucking mom and getting that six years later? Dude, no. 
Yeah. I can't. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. Like, while I was researching this, I was just thinking about a therapist being like, you know, maybe you should expand who you let watch your kids. And then I read shit like this and I'm like, no. <laughs> no. <laughs> I mean, this is different. I know it's too. not some random old guy who I <laughs> yeah. met in the classifieds. Yeah. You know, it's just, it's best to just I keep my circle tight. <laughs> keep my circle tight. Yeah. That's my nickname now. <laughs> Just kidding. <laughs> Far from it. <laughs> okay, so after he was arrested, x-rays were done, and this is when I was like, oh, Gabe knows about this guy. Doctors found at least 29 needles lodged in his pelvic area. Fish was on trial for 10 days and pled insanity. More victims were connected to Fish during his trial, including 8-year-old Francis McDonald and 4-year-old Billy Gaffney. I don't think it's necessary to repeat what he did to Francis because we got a pretty good idea of what, like, the kind of shit that he was doing. Um, mm -hmm. And I couldn't even bring myself to read past the first few lines of what he had done to Billy. Like, I have, I have no idea because I read a couple lines and I thought, nope, I mean, I was doing this before I was going to bed, so, like, no. Yeah, you don't need that shit. No. Um, Pop it up randomly in a dream. Yeah. He's also suspected to be involved in the deaths of Emma Richardson, five, Yetta Abramowitz, 12, Robin Jane Liu, 6, Mary Ellen O'Connor, 16, and Benjamin Collings, 17. But these aren't the only victims he claims to have tortured and murdered. Fish claimed, quote, to have a child in every state with numbers of up to 100 dead, nah. most of them nope. children. In addition, he admitted to molesting more than 400 children. He'd been doing this his entire life. I believe the f molesting 400 children, but not the every state thing. Yeah. Yeah. Just because that's just like a flex, like a weird flex. Cause he had like six kids and shit and there was no way he was like riding trains to every state to what? I don't know. I wonder if it's like a figure of speech though, just to say that there were a lot. Oh, well, yeah. I don't know. During the trial, multiple psychiatrists testified that Fish was a, quote, psychiatric phenomenon because of his multiple sexual abnormalities, including sadism, masochism, flagellation, exhibitionism, voyeurism, peakerism, cannibalism, coprophagia, urophilia, hemotonalia. Is that drinking blood? Yeah. Uh, yeah. Necrophilia and infibulation. Some of those aren't, like abnormalities i mean no that's how they talk. I, I know i know that, some yeah. of them it's just that was the term that was used but yeah yeah that's if like, you weren't like boning somebody missionary you were like the devil's inside of you just the stuff that's criminal that's hurting other people yeah is the stuff but i think they were just trying to lump everything together like hey this guy is he's right. got a lot going on yeah so you know what? I was you saying that like the only kinks that you don't like are that hurt other people non-consensually, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Um that's that's true. Like, you know what? If you want to eat shit, eat shit. Yeah. <laughs> eat yeah. shit. I changed my stance on the where I was like that's wrong. I mean, people from the beginning every animal shits far away from the group so they don't get sick. <laughs> you know? <laughs> <laughs> yeah so i like that that's what you're hung up on you're like you know i've been thinking about this this whole time that we're talking about this sick sick fuck and uh it's the shit thing that has always bothered shit me further away from other people it's on purpose what is he doing 
Well, but then that's a slippery slope thought too, because somebody's like, mm. well, somebody can be like, well, yeah, it's not natural to eat shit, and then somebody can be like, it's not natural to have anal sex. It's not natural to like love a like to be homosexual then, because you can't reproduce. You know what I mean? It's like, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. no, yeah, just do so whatever you want. Like, just don't hurt that's, anybody. That's why I'm sort of like, well, as long as it's not hurting anybody, then do whatever you want. You know, because it's not my business. If but the, see, the only thing I think of is like, well, if you're eating shit, like if an animal is doing something that is harmful to them, it's usually an indicator that there's something wrong. So mm-hmm. then it's like, well, what about people's mental health and and helping with that? But that's like, is that my business? No. Anyway, this guy ate shit. So yeah. But like a lot of these isms and elias and whatever uh, were harming people. Yeah, we're hurting other people non consensually. Mm-hmm. So there were convincing arguments by many experts for his sanity, like trial version of his sanity. But in the end, the jury came to a consensus that Fish was completely insane. Mm-hmm. But they also came to the consensus that he should be executed anyway. Like a juror was talked to later and they were like, um, yeah, we were all like, oh, this person's insane, but we want him to have the death penalty. So he was found to be sane and guilty. Okay. Fish went to death row at Sing Sing in March of 1935, where he is still awaiting execution. Do you? Did you say he I'm joking? They was, put him in the electric chair. I was like, yeah. <laughs> I did that to fuck with you. <laughs> so, no, they put him in the electric chair less than 10 months later. Okay. So, his last words were, I don't even know why I'm here. Fish gave <sighs> his lawyer, James Dempsey, his final statement in writing, which was several pages long. When asked to read it, Dempsey told reporters, quote, I will never show it to anyone. It was the most filthy string of obscenities that I have ever read. End quote. Hmm. So he spent all this time, like this time that he was in jail, writing out like his full confession in detail what he did. His lawyer never made any of that public because all it would do is hurt families of victims for them to know some of the details of like the awful things he did to (sighs) their mostly children. Yeah. So, yeah, that's that. Fuck that guy and fuck this. And I hate it. Did you read the book? Is that what the book you're? No, I was reading a book called Son, a Psychopath and His Victims, and it was about the South Hill Rapist. So I have a whole bunch of stuff I wrote out on that. The more I wrote, I was like, this isn't super connected to like what this is. So then I found something that was like, yeah, this episode is like solidly based on peakerism because the South Hill Rapist kind of leaned into the mom stuff, like the weird relationship with his mom. I'm sure that'll um, pop up again in SVU. You can well, save it. <laughs> and, I, yeah. and the more I learned about it, like as I'm getting deeper into this book, I'm like, this is literally a long form episode of SVU. This has to be a fucking episode. So I saved mm-hmm. it. Like I saved yeah, my good. notes for that. And I'm like, I'm going to end up doing a chaser on this guy anyway. But yeah, yeah, that's fucked too. Like that is interesting and awful. And there's like some crazy detail. Oh. I don't know if I'm getting like dead inside with details of stuff because I'm just like I was surprised you read that letter. I was like cuz it was about a kid and stuff and yeah. I was getting like ugh. I feel like you I, f- I feel like we switched for a second. I'm emotionally like, detaching a little bit more which I don't love, but at the same time I think is good for like how I hyper focus on like things if I hear something that's going to happen to somebody I care about. Mm-hmm. So, like, I can read about it and be like, this is information and these are facts and these are things of something that happened and it has no connection to my life. Right. I'm sure your therapist is thrilled. 
you know, just probably like, yeah, good. Yeah. You know? I'm like, do you want to hear this fucking letter? She's like, no. <laughs> well, that's fucked up. So good story, though. Soups. That was good. I, there was some of that stuff I didn't know. Mm-hmm. Oh, it is dark. Oh, my God. Next week, it's the last episode of season two. Season two, episode 21, Scourge. Scourge. <laughs> Scourge. Scrooge. It's about a duck in a silo full of coins. <laughs> Scourge. A guy being chased by three ghosts. <laughs> the team searches for a serial killer who justifies his crimes with paranoid religious motivation. Richard Thomas and Karen Allen guest star. <laughs> Dick Tom. <laughs> you know what time it is? Dick Tom. <laughs> <laughs> Woo! Okay, so follow us on all social media at SVU Pod. Check out our website, svupod.com, where we've got merch for perch. Email us at svupod at gmail.com. We're going to be doing a TNG Q&A. So if you have questions, anything you want us to talk about, fucking ghost stories for Gabe. Yes. Game. <laughs> yeah. Anything that you just like want us to talk about or bring up or whatever or comments about this last season of SVU. That's it, right? Yeah. I think that's it. Pew. If you're like a sex therapist or something and know if we said anything weird about kinks or whatever that maybe isn't appropriate or we and we didn't know, like shoot us a message. Let us know. Do not ever hesitate to let us know where we can like be better if you feel so inclined to let us know. Yeah, yeah. We're always down for like learning and growing and living and sharing. And being better to each other and you and each you or everybody. And everybody. Okay. That was fucking enough. And in the middle of that, you're like, I don't know why I have to care about people's feelings. (laughs) That's not what I meant. I know, I'm fucking kidding. All right. And I'm like, it's wrong to eat shit. (laughs) And then I'm like, like, if you want to eat shit, don't knock until you try it. All right, I'll talk to you later. Love you, bye. Love you, bye. Like, if when I if I get a wedgie in an elevator, I just assume someone's in a room somewhere just snickering at me. <laughs> I'm just like, I'm just going to deal with it. I got to get these undies out of my butt. There's no windows to the outside in the precinct. Yeah, it's a trash can. Only the ceiling is open. <laughs> <laughs> it's just a plastic lid, though. Yeah. <laughs> I refer to you as the funniest person I've ever met. I love it, and I'm so desperate for it. <laughs> It's a porn with Dick's dinosaur.